Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, my lovely friends. Welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast, or as always, welcome if you are brand new to the show and it's your first time listening. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I am your host. On today's episode, we are going to be chatting all about finance, investing, and just a holistic view and approach on your finances. And before you go, okay, I honestly don't really want to listen to finance, so I'm going to click out of this episode. Here's the thing. I am such a firm believer in holistic wellness, and I believe that also includes your financial well-being and obviously understanding your finances and actually what you'll hear us talk about in this conversation is how finance and investing is actually more feminine than we realize and of course too you know I've always been interested in finance because for me personally I don't like to be unaware of not only certain parts of my business I have to know my finances and whatnot but I just don't like being unincluded in a conversation because I'm unaware of it, right? So even with that too, when I didn't know much about finance, I always would listen to finance podcasts. I would read books about it. I would learn to understand certain terminology. I would, you know, dedicate time to my accounting class, all of that. But I, you know, I'm not saying I actually enjoy it though. It's not like I actually love finance, but I love knowledge and being able to learn as I go right so even if you're a beginner you can frame it in your mind as this is a way for you to get better and to improve in a certain part of your life and if you don't start now you're going to eventually have to start at some point and I'm sure for those of you who already work full time you might already have that inkling realizing like okay I need to learn how to budget I need to learn how to calculate how much I set aside for rent and savings and my 401k or my retirement all of that and so we dive into that in today's episode and I don't often feature guests or talk about finance that much but when I do, I ensure that I cover all the basics and information that I know would have been really helpful for me when I I was in college and or just at a time when I was transitioning out of college had I not known this information prior. But before we get into the episode, I want to share a little bit about Patricia, who is the guest I have today. Patricia Whitaker is the founder of AfireFi, a holistic financial platform that helps people better understand their finances and how they can transform their life by gaining the confidence they need to reach their life goals. After spending over 17 years in the chaos of stock markets in Tokyo, New York, UK, and Europe, and taking her own money risks, she decided she wanted to engage with the world of finance in a different way. Through a unique approach, a FireFi was created with the core pillars of time, money, and well-being to make managing money easy, enjoyable, and also realistic. 
So of course, too, what I love about this is that I'm talking to a fellow female and I think there is, again, a perception that finance money and men in general are typically the ones that dominate investment banking and all of that, which may seem like the case, but I also believe, too, it's like the power that we give them or the power that we give that notion, right? So I don't want to talk too much more because I know Patricia provides a lot of value in this and I hope you guys slowly listen to this, take the time to maybe write down some notes in your iPhone if you're walking or like, you know, maybe doing something mundane and you hear something, you go, ooh, I want to write that down. Definitely one of those episodes and also probably one that you will want to re-listen to in the future as you kind of figure out your own finances and figure out what's the best approach for you to start thinking for your future. And I know, again, it seems daunting, but especially if you're in college, I think this is that's the best position to be in is if you're a junior or senior in college right now and you're listening. That was pers- for me personally, that was when I got my shit together, so to speak, about my finances. And that's when I started to uh, budget. And, you know, I did it a very mechanical way like I made my own spreadsheet on Google and I think they actually can they provide you templates too if you want and um, it's really easy and you just learn as you go so if you're in college the pressure is not really on and I think that's the best time to learn and practice and make mistakes and figure out like oh like okay I made $500 this week like okay let me set aside 20% and then you just move that to your savings like that kind of thing that's just how I started in college and now the habits compound over time and that's how I'm able to do the things and live the life I have today. With that being said, we shall dive into the conversation and let's enjoy. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Are you the type of person that enjoys self-reflection, personal growth, and having purposeful conversations with like-minded people? If you are, then you are going to love the new official What Fulfills You card game, which is available for pre-order on the website at whatfulfillsyou.com. This is the perfect conversation starter, icebreaker game to play with friends on a night in with a few glasses of wine, big family dinners, a potential romantic partner, work retreats, and of course, much more. Oh, and I think this would definitely be a fun game for upcoming Friendsgiving and Thanksgiving events. Enjoy 10% off with the code for podcast listeners only, What Fulfills You 10 at checkout. That's What Fulfills You 10 at checkout at whatfulfillsyou.com. 
Well, Patricia, thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited to chat with you all about finance and investing and advice for women today. But first, I always love to start off with everyone's story. And when I say story, I'm talking like from your childhood, where you grew up, everything that kind of gives more context into who you are and, you know, where, how you got to where you are today. Excellent. I, I've been really excited about this podcast because I've, I've listened to a ton of your episodes and I think you're like the modern day life skill um, coach. Mm -hmm. And it, I just think every, everyone listening does, it's all the stuff that you don't learn at home. So I love this podcast uh, for anyone and mm -hmm. I, I promote it a lot. Um, I am like you, I'm an East Coast girl. I grew up um, in New York City. I grew up between Queens and Long Island. Um, moved into New York City, into Manhattan as soon as I could. But I grew up, I was a second generation Italian. And uh, that I, I know that you, you're from an uh, immigrant family. I, I was second generation, but you, you get a certain amount of grit knowing there's no fallback. There's no, there's no grandmother that was completely successful who has a trust fund for you. So mm -hmm. it was like, you want something, you work for it. So I was babysitting at 14 because if I wanted money to spend, that was where my money was coming from. And that yeah, gave me a lot of grit and it gave me um, as big a place as New York City was, I always wanted to go out and then see the rest of the world. And that I, I didn't know, like I didn't grow up going, oh my gosh, I want to work on Wall Street, which is where I wound up. I just sort of fell into it. I When I came, uh, when I was in school, I was just temping jobs and temping jobs and temping jobs. And I worked in advertising and, and legal and all these different places. And I wound up on, literally on Wall Street at a, on a stock trading place uh, as a receptionist, just like, hello, hello, hello. And then I walked into the trading room and I was like, ah, I love this. It was just complete chaos along with like all the news of the world. And it was a really very nurturing environment, lots of mentors. And that's, that's how I fell into um, the stock market trading. Uh, so it was not a planned course. I was going to NYU. I was going to NYU from six o'clock in the morning to like, I don't know, one o'clock. And then I would leave to go work on Wall Street for the day or, or vice versa. I'd go into work and then go to school till 11 o'clock at night. But I was doing half and half days and um, every day just loving it more. And I got so much mentorship there. I'm curious. So you said you started out as a receptionist. Was that while you were still at NYU or was that your initial full time? Okay. So that was when you were at NYU. So then by the time you graduated, did you go straight into the trading floor or kind of share a little bit about post-grad life? <laughs> Yeah, I was still, uh, because as I said, like you worked if you needed anything. So while I was going to school, I, I was always working. Mm -hmm. And so when I started the reception job at NYU, I probably took it during like a spring break or during a summer holiday. Mm -hmm. And then they offered me more and more time there as I was, because NYU is, was just one or two stations away. So I could easily mm -hmm. zip back and forth. And then as my graduation was coming up, they offered me a full-time job and um, it was, it was at a time that the markets were very weak here, but they had offices in Japan. Mm -hmm. So I was able to one, take a job in New York, but then also have the promise of going over to Tokyo, um, and, and studying there with them and, and Hong Kong and, uh, and getting my skill set toned on analyzing and interviewing companies. Like I would go there and I would go to Tokyo and being, you know, I was a foreigner, I was like novel. So like, mm -hmm. if I wanted an interview with one of the head people at Nissan, 
they would open the door just because they were like, who is this strange person <laughs> that wants to come see us? You know, so it was one of those cases that being um, unusual actually worked in my favor. Being a woman worked in my favor mm -hmm. because I didn't look like all the other analysts on the street. So that, that opened a lot of doors for me at the time. And then I, I stuck with it. And then when I was doing the Japanese stocks, I had an opportunity to move to Japan. But at that point, I realized I didn't want to do that. And I put in for a transfer to Europe at that time. But I, after I was in the industry, I had been graduated. And I probably was out for a couple of years at that point and then got myself transferred over to Europe to do the um, mm -hmm. to trade the European stocks. Right. And we'll yeah. definitely tap into your finance career. I definitely have some notes on this, but you did make a comment that was really intriguing to me. And considering you are from a different generation, I, you know, I'm so curious. You mentioned it was in a good way for you to be one of the few, if not only female at that time, or, you know, within that meeting room per se, um, to be standing there and being an analyst, right? Um, looking back now and, and how you said it was an advantage because, you know, you look different, you are different. Um, do you have any advice? Because I think that's obviously still is um, applicable today, even though more women are becoming CEOs or going into finance or going into industries that are more male dominated. Um, how can women like yourself reframe that in their head where they're like, yeah, you know, it's actually an advantage that I'm one of the few, you know, females, or I'm one of the few, you know, minorities, whatever that could be, you know, versus thinking, oh my gosh, it's like a disadvantage. Cause I like that comment that you said it was, it was actually rather an advantage in that moment. I, I think when I was there, I never stopped to think that I was the, like on the trading floors, I was like one of like two or three women. And so the, the women that were there, we easily became friends because it was like comfort. And then the female clients, we then, so the women would bound together and then we'd have the female clients and we would just create our own little ecosystem. But as a, as a mind frame, I, I think I just wanted what I wanted so bad. And I knew my goals and, you know, growing up in the, you know, sort of, like I said, second gen immigrant that, you know, and the, and the money skimping and everything that I was so clear that. I wanted to travel and I, I understood what this industry had for me. It had potential money, it had potential um, travel, it had potential to live in different countries, meet new people. And that is all I thought about was what I wanted out of this industry, not what this industry wanted out of me. And I remember you, you had interviewed somebody who said that they thought about everyone as like players in their game. I can't, I think it was, um, I think it was a gentleman and he, and I, I guess it was sort of that mind frame of, I'm not here for you, you are here for me. And so I never stopped to think about, you know, I was always like, how is this suiting my lifestyle? How is this getting me what I want? And I would just move myself like, I'm also a bit of an introvert. So I, it's very easy for me to block out noise. Like I'm, I'm very happy to spend a few days on my own. In fact, I need it. Like if I go out and, you know, I party a lot, I kind of need to come home and reset myself. And I think that introversion did actually help me because I was able just to kind of go into my own little world and I would exist in my own little world. And on the trading floors, you do have to, it's a collaborative environment. I don't know how it is now, but at the time, algorithms were really just starting to come out. Everything was very relationship driven. Like you had to have a trust with who you're working with. We'd work like four person groups and um, you had to trust each other and you had to work with each other. And so, and there were principles and, 
we, everything was moving so fast that you just had to show up and do your job, you know, and if you did that, everything was ticking along and the clients were, were happy with you and everyone else. Cause if you had someone's back and you were doing a good job, no one had time to think whether you were a male or female or Jewish or Christian or tall or short. It was like, if you were doing your job, that's all everyone needed. Cause we just didn't have any downtime to think about, you know, who you were or what you were. And that was also an interesting aspect, but I do think the introvert and, and having my own goals really helped me. And then when I was done with the markets, I was done and I was out, you know, I didn't hang out longer than it. When it stopped serving me, like my alarm went off at 5.03 every day. And when that stopped being interesting, I left. Well, it took me a little bit of time, but I, but I left. So, so for, yeah, for your female listeners, I don't, I don't, I don't know how exactly to translate, but um you know, if I was in my 20s, but I, I think you just have to know what you want out of the situation and stay true to yourself. And that leads very much back into all your interviews of wellness and being a whole person and really understanding who you are. And like all those interviews that you do about relationships and career, it all leads back to knowing who you are. And when you know who you are, you can, I think, better navigate any situation, yeah. any situation at all. Right. And I think that's interesting too, how you said that it didn't really even occur to you, which is similar to me, right? I think I got my focus though, from as a former athlete, where I can't look and listen to the external noise as much, but I do notice, I think a big part because of social media today, that a lot of females, especially, but mostly anyone in their twenties and thirties and anyone really active on their phones, it is very easy to be distracted or um, you lose your focus because you're paying attention to what everyone else is doing. So I think that's why so many people today are a little bit on the side of, oh, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage because so-and-so is doing this and, and I'm not doing that, right? Um, so I think it's a very interesting perspective. And the way I had my takeaway from what you said was truly just that, A, you have to be really self-aware of yourself and what you're what you want out of that part of your life but secondly just to cut out the external noise right like stop looking and listening to what other people are doing because I think that's where you shift your energy and focus too much and that's where you lose your internal peace and your internal control uh, or your locus of control um, in that sense but I am also curious so this industry it's so you know it's very, I guess you could say high energy, a lot of um, hours, right? Long hours. You said you woke up at 5.03 AM. Um, how are you balancing it with personal relationships before we get into the actual finance stuff? But I just feel like it was, I had to bring that up now because you, you're already kind of alluding to, you know, very busy schedule, hectic life. Like, you know, how, how are you doing it with your personal life? Yeah, that was, that was not handled well. Like I was so focused on, like getting out, like having, you know, creating an advantage monetarily because it was such a stress point in, in my childhood. And that if you like asked me what, like what I would do differently, I would manage my time better. I think I didn't manage my time proactively. And so work could get away and the demands can get away and I didn't have boundaries. So I think like, so, you know, the world became small because a lot of the people I socialized with was in those in those times of uh, entertaining clients and then people I worked with and not seeing people, maybe I should. I mean, I was, it wasn't all horrible. Like I would shut down and like 
every Saturday morning I would play golf um, with friends and then have a lunch and then go home. But there was definitely an element of not managing my time that could definitely have gotten better. And I would, I would definitely do that differently. So I, so I would say I didn't do a good job on that. You know, I did a good job working, but I didn't balance. And I think again, like your generation has a much better handle on that. We didn't talk about managing your time. You, you are much better about talking about wellness and you've got a much better chance at managing your time and managing your wellness, even with all the social media, if you could know in your head that you were the boss of your life. Um, there's a lot more conversation that goes on now that didn't go on then. You know, there wasn't um, talk of wellness or mental wellness or balance or any of these things. It was like work and work and work and work and work. <laughs> you know, and, and that, you know, so whereas now like you guys talk a lot more about balance and I think it's fabulous. I think it's, um, I, I think you guys have a shot at getting it right, you know. Well, speaking of work-life balance, um, I, I I do have a unique opinion on this where over the years, and even though I'm you know 24 and a little bit on the younger side to some, um, I personally believe that, especially with today's opportunities and technology advantages, I lean on the side of no work-life balance in the aspect of instead of separating the two, right? Instead of Monday through Friday, it's my work life, my colleagues are my friends, they're the ones I go out to dinner with. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday are, is where I spend my personal lifetime. Um, I've always kind of believed as of lately that there is a way to integrate it all. And so even if I were working in your industry, right? And if I was like, you know, trading the floors for in and doing that, I would find a way, I guess, rather instead of dreading waking up at that hour and then thinking, oh, I'm going to go out with my colleagues this evening. I would probably rather reframe it as, oh, these are people I work with, but they're also my my friends as well, right? Is that something you agree with or any kind of opinion you could give on that um, based on your experience looking back now? Yeah, I definitely, the people I worked with were definitely friends. Like, if, I think mm -hmm. it's if you didn't like the people that you were working with and client, like you, you couldn't have a client that you really didn't like because you're, right. it's so, it's a trust basis. Like you yeah. don't get a chance to sign a contract 20 times a day with your trades. Everything is, is like a handshake over the telephone or a handshake across the trading floor. Yeah. So if, um, if they weren't trustworthy or you didn't enjoy their company, you wouldn't want to spend time with them. So I definitely, I didn't think, oh, I'm out for work tonight and it's Thursday, I'm out for work. I definitely enjoyed I love the dinners, I love the golf, I love the travel that we did. Um, but I would, the only thing I would say is that my world got a little bit small just for lack of time of mm -hmm. being able to see people outside of the world. Uh, but that said, the people in that world, they were enormously entertaining, very, like, everyone's very sharp, very funny. Uh, the trading floors, I, I always like liken them to like a, an SNL um, set. Like mm -hmm. it was just like in between all the work for, was lots and lots of fun, you know, and mm -hmm. everyone was just, you know, you were made fun of and you made fun. And it was just this one long joke in between working all the day. So I, you know, and we would go out and we, you know, in between we'd let off steam and we'd go dancing and, and we'd yeah. go to shows and we'd go to do all this stuff. But I would say in that the world could get a bit small that you just start um, socializing with people with, mm -hmm. within the industry. Um, and 
So I so but you know we there's there's always ways to get around that you know people in your neighborhood that are working in different industries you just try right. to link them together sometimes or and going home and seeing my friends that I grew up with you know who mm-hmm. had nothing to do with the industry and they just thought I was right. crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of how yeah. crazy the industry is, I do want to dive into it, especially for those who have no idea about anything within finance and you know trading and the stock market, all of that. That's why I am really happy that you're on because I haven't had a chance to really dive into that deeper topic, but you had experience in both New York City and London, as far as your LinkedIn says. Um, Can you dive into just like insight into what that environment really is like and what a typical day looks like, even maybe some insight into like salary and income, like a lot of that is just very unknown to everyone outside of the world. So if you could give some insight, that'd be awesome. Uh, to give you an overview, like one of my guilty pleasures is watching F1. And I think it comes from working on the trading floors because there's this, um, like before an F1 race, there's all this like preparation, you know? So if you're a trader, mm-hmm. you're, you're reading research, you're reading the news, you're talking to people and you're getting all this information together. And then the market opens and it's complete chaos. Like you don't know what's going to happen mm-hmm. on that day. You don't know how it is. So, and sometimes there's long periods of time that nothing's happening. It's like watching F1 race and everyone's just going around the track. And then every once in a while, someone crashes. And is it a big crash? Yeah. Is it a small crash? Or someone passes someone else. And there's, so there's this, so there's this um, sense of just like, you don't know what's going on. So I think that's the excitement that I loved about it is that you can take all this information and then you piece it together on the trading floor. And what it was now it has changed a lot because a lot of this stuff is automated now there's algorithms and and everything mm-hmm. else but finance is actually extremely feminine investing is very feminine and mm. i think that people don't ever think of it that way that you think of money as being very masculine but when you are investing you are analyzing researching planning you know that's they're very feminine qualities and i think the only thing that's lacking in investing um is sometimes women having the confidence to know that they're a good investor mm-hmm. that they can invest and there was some great women on the trading floor and great, great camaraderie with them and um the interesting thing about being on a trading floor funny enough is i was never underpaid because it's it's so visible what you get paid like you would go in your bonus meeting and mm-hmm. come out and tell everyone what you got and it was almost because everything's so competitive like you'd come out and be like I got this and then you go in and you're like oh I only got this and you knew you negotiated wrong or or something but everyone always seemed to know what everyone else was always getting paid or within a certain amount and I maybe they were just too scared to underpay me (laughs) because I was a woman and at that time there was even then the the backlash was starting to pull up but getting getting paid you know they, they everyone had a base salary on the trading floor of about 100 grand and you, mm-hmm. you started out with that and then your bonuses went up off that. And so you had to earn your way. You would make a certain amount of sales and get kind of a percent off that. But how helpful were you to everybody else? Um, mm-hmm. Were you making money but not helping the person next door that you would get, you would get penalized for that because you were costing the mm-hmm. company money? What did your colleagues uh-huh. have to say about you? Were you helpful? Were you not? Were you keeping information? Were you sharing clients? Like you were expected to if I was doing European markets, I was expected to introduce my clients to the Asian markets, you know? And so there was like, you had your base of like what you would made on commission on your sales, but then you was you were up and down depending on how, how much of a team player you were um, or how much other mm. business you brought in. So, but it was a very, it was a very open table. Um, so it's interestingly enough, it was harder to underpay 
people in that environment where there was so much visibility and so much competition. Like you always wanted people to know how mm. much you made. Um, so, right. mm-hmm. so yeah. So the days were chaotic, and the, the pay, but the pay was very visible. So in that sense, um, it, it was easier. It, it was easier than being in marketing. I think where where you don't discuss pay, for instance. You know, if you're in marketing or your attorney. You know, I guess if you're an attorney, you have a a formula, but it was much more visible, I would say. So that was never a stress point mm-hmm. for me. What about the hours? You said you woke up around 5 a.m. every day. Could you take us through what time the day started? I mean, I personally know just because um, I, you know, I'm pretty familiar with like investing and you know stock markets and all that. And especially when I was on Pacific time, you know, <laughs> um, that was even, you know, when my brother was um, at a hedge fund and whatnot, I remember his early, early hours. But yeah, if you could explain some of the hours, uh, just an average day for anyone that doesn't know. Yeah, I mean, the markets used to be a little bit more confined, like New York City Stock Exchange traded 9.30 to 4. And then all of a sudden, the German Stock Exchange started trading electronically outside of like the set hours and starting to wreak havoc on our lives because the day is pretty intense. And then when the electronic market started opening up, like nothing was closing. So the typical day um, would have been like if I woke up at 5, I'd be in the office like six, six thirty, seven, somewhere between there. But um, you know, stop for food and a coffee along the way. You come in and you're reading through things, and then you have a morning meeting with everyone else that you're working with. Some sort of around um, the European markets opened up earlier, so we were probably having our morning meetings at seven, where you basically just walk into a big room and it'd be a shout out, like, "What are you seeing?" Sometimes there was nothing in your sector that you'd be responsible for a country in a sector. And you'd have a shout out of what you're seeing and hearing. And that, so everyone knew the major points. And then sometimes there were small pieces of news that you knew were gonna turn into a big piece of news. So you'd have this shout out um, in the, in Europe, it was probably around seven. In New York, it was probably around eight um, local time. And then you'd get back to your desk and you'd get on your phone to your clients and then orders would start coming in and you'd start talking to your traders. If there was a, like today, Olaplex came to the market today. So that would have been a big conversation of what we think, who's investing in it. Yes, no, yes, no. And and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of information that takes place before the market opens. There's a lot of work that goes on. There's a lot of mining for information, a lot of you know, that's where the trading floor comes in handy because if you're working, if you're a trader and you're a day trader at home, you have to know everything. Whereas if you're in an office, Joe, you know, this guy's responsible for this, this girl's responsible for this, and you have this shout out and you're all covering each other. So you would get this mosh pit of information and then you would go back and talk to your clients because that information would mean something different if you were talking to Fidelity who's holding your pension versus if you're talking to a hedge fund who is just trying to trade. And the markets start closing in Europe, they start closing anywhere between like two and four. But the thing is that you have these electronic markets after the after the fact. So you have to always now have people monitoring the marketplace because you can trade a German stock 24 hours a day. You know, you may not be able to trade it in big volumes, but you know, that wasn't the case in 2000. Like when the German market closed, you were done. You couldn't trade that stock again until until Germany opens at eight o'clock the next morning. So so things have changed a lot that you do have, like there's kind of like, there's no rest. Like you like, you be out at dinner and the phone would be ringing. You're like, oh my God, can I please just eat, <laughs> eat my steak, <laughs> you know? So, but the day, you know, so, and I also thought it was better when every when you're trading and everyone's in at the same time. But, but you know, technology changes everything. and. Uh, so the days I'm sure are different 
the last time I went up to the trading floors, it was much quieter because everything was being done electronically. You know, there wasn't all the shouting across. Um, so everything was, there was that one bit removed, you know, of the emotion. And, you know, I think, I think it was good when you had to stand up and walk around and kind of move the energy rather than sitting in front of a computer all day, you know. Um, and there's a lot more that goes, goes on like that. So the day would, I'm sure the day is different now. And, you know, if you're an individual investor trading, you know, trading from home, your day is completely different than that, you know, completely. Yeah. What is one aspect of this career? Because you mentioned that finance and investing, it's actually more feminine than we acknowledge, right? Um, so for young women listening, and I, and I agree, I think there's so many, especially my own friends and many women, I, I see, you know, it's always kind of a conversation that is rarely brought up even at dinner, or they're always kind of like, I have no idea, maybe that's more of a male thing. And even though we're a little bit more progressive today in that sense of like women taking more charge and kind of um, being able to tap into those male dominated industries. Um, I think it's, you know, finance is still one of those places where a lot of females kind of you know, steer away from just, I think for a couple of reasons, lack of confidence, the unknowns, lack of awareness, right? So, you know, what is one aspect of this career that most people, especially young women don't know? And then I guess secondary to that is like, why should they be more aware and interested in finance and investing? Investing, it's, you know, it's about taking risk. And I think when you learn how to take risk, so let's say you don't want a career in finance. Let's say even if you're just like as a person like you, Emily, opening up a trading account. When you investing takes discipline. You were a skater. You're you know a sportsman, and you had to take like you didn't just get out on the ice and do twisty jumps, right? Like you had to do it and practice, and you had to do the discipline. And investing is like that. You take baby steps. You learn more every day. You get better, and you get better, and you get better. So. Um, so investing is just like anything else you're doing in life, whether you're becoming a skater or any other job you do, that it's just a bunch of baby steps that you get. So if you're intimidated, it's because you're looking at the top of the mountain and all you need to do is starting is you just start with some basic things, which I'm happy to, um, to give you, you guys a few things. Um, so I would say that is one thing is that it is just a bunch of little steps, but also investing is about risk-taking. And I think when you are good at, when you get better at taking risk and you're a business owner and you learn, you start learning how to take risk in your, in your investments, you get better at taking risk in your business. So like taking risk is a life skill, you know, um, when you start investing and you start thinking about what's my risk, what's my reward, you start very quickly, very quickly doing that in your whole life. So if you own a business, you want to expand. Why do I want to expand? Like if you're owning a stock, I always say, why do you own that stock? What would make you buy a lot more? What would make you sell it? You're owning a business. What would make you invest more? What would make you want to sell it? You start to just do this on a very natural basis and investing in individual stocks or in funds or anything else makes you start having those conversations with yourself. So I think there's a lot to be learned by investing. But if you do baby steps, it, be, it will become very natural. Just don't jump in and go, okay, let me, I'm Warren Buffett. I want to take, I'm going to sell my house and put all my savings in the market. You just, you, you just start, you just start and you know that, um, that you'll get there and that you're going to fail along the way. And, but as long as you fail and you learn why you failed at it, um, 
then you'll learn and then you go on again. And And it's, it's funny that you bring up the risk factor, because I guess now I was thinking about it as you were saying it, it makes so much sense why I personally love investing. I love talking about it. I love talking about it with girlfriends and partially why I have a lot of male friends, because it's some, it's one of those topics I can talk to, you know, with them about and really hold a strong conversation. But I agree as well that it really parlays over into your personal life and the way you make those decisions, right? Like, you know, um, I've always been a high risk, high reward type of person and, and, loved to even play you know games like poker where guys are you know more dominant at the day you know and, and again it's, it's all risk but I think I, I love the way you uh put the analysis there in that the question you need to ask yourself is what's the worst that can happen even when I left my nine to five to pursue all of my ventures on my own um full time my question was you know what's the worst case right the worst case is was truly just okay you can't make enough so you go back and get a new nine to five and then you just start the cycle over again and once you're ready and you know whatever venture was maybe makes it better the second round like then you leave again and you come you know what I mean and I feel like that may or may not be not you know I'm not criticizing women for this but maybe it's just the the way women are societally and culturally brought up is that take less risks and you should be not the one you know taking that risk maybe let the men take that risk or um maybe I don't know I I it's just interesting that you brought that up I never really recognized why women have that framework and then maybe why I always felt as a kid I was always taking risks and you know loved I played poker since I was nine years old because my older brother taught me but you know. I love that I love that <laughs> but it's so true that I even think about it to personal life I mean as uh, with personal life items like uh sending a text to a guy right I think as you know totally completely different area but I remember telling my friend you know what's the worst thing that happens like they they don't respond and it kind of comes back to your ego thing but um I think that all parlays like that skill set is so vital in many different areas of life, both finance, professionally, and then, you know, in your personal life. So I, I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And but that's, you know, so I'm always, it's very interesting when I started in finance, like it was not, finance was not the cool kid. Like I would go to parties mm. and people were like, what did you do? I was like, I'm a dolphin trainer. Like anything, <laughs> I would say anything to not tell people that I worked on the trading floors because people right. would scoff at you. But it's mm. really interesting. And I'm very encouraged for your generation because every time I go out now, people like I used to get asked the questions about money, like when I was on the airplane and no one else Mm. here, you know, or like Mm. on the side, whereas now, like I went to get my haircut last week and like everyone on this and, you know, I'm in the haircut. It's it's a female place. It's a very Mm -hmm. bad place. Mm -hmm. It's not that men men aren't even allowed to get their haircut there. And (laughs) and, we got into the conversation and I was like, everyone was like, so what are you invested in now? And everyone and everyone was in their twenties and everyone wanted to talk about investing Mm. and every, and I was like, I'm like, that never would have happened. And I get cornered a lot now, whereas people like, they don't just want to know, they, they want to start. So I, I really relate. So that's like, it's my mission now. I go out and I speak to like mm-hmm. young people. I'm like, do you have an investment account? Get yourself an investment account. Just start, like start, make mm-hmm. a mistake, you know? So I think, right. um, I, I think um, not being, that it's steps. Yeah, it's steps right. and it's small steps and every day you can get better. And it's not, you know, I would tell you one other thing is that when I talk to men and women, men are like, I got it. I don't need to know anything from you. I got it. And women mm. will ask eight questions. And mm. I think that is, it's two sides of that. One is that it's confidence. So they don't like the men think that they know everything and the women are asking questions because they don't have the confidence, but they're also curious. And I think that sets the stage mm. for a big change over the next 10 years. Yeah. 
I definitely agree. And well, speaking of your mission today, we'll definitely dive into um, a Firefly now, which is your company. Um, so can you dive into it? Like, what, what are you doing today with that? How are you helping women have a better understanding of, you know, a finance in general and not being scared of that topic and, you know, what to do with their money, but secondly, also on the investing side as well, which we'll tap into, but yeah, just first start off with what is a Firefly and um, we'll, we'll dive into it from there. Um, it's a platform for you to manage your finances. One of the mistakes I made, well, I made two big mistakes in my money growing up is that I only focused on the earnings part of the financial ecosystem. I didn't realize that foreign mm -hmm. finance was part of an ecosystem. I was like, I'm going to earn, I'm going to earn, I'm going to earn. And that's a great, great strategy in your twenties. And then you get into thirties, but then like you start to get burnt out or you want a choice, you want to change into industries, or maybe you want a kid and you want to take a little bit of time off, or maybe you just want to take some time off, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by only concentrating the earnings part, it was great. I had a bunch of money saved when I left the markets, but then I wasn't, didn't have the discipline. So I didn't have, I didn't, wasn't paying attention to the rest of the ecosystem. So I didn't have a lot of good habits established. So what the platform does is the very first thing it does is it helps you establish, it helps you look at all your finances. It helps you look at your assets, your debt, but it also helps you look at your esoteric qualities. Like we, we go through a lot of wellness things like your past money story, how that's weighing into your behavior today. We look at your esoteric qualities. What you know? What is serving you? What where are you lacking? What do you like? Do you have enough community support? Do you have enough knowledge? Do you have enough experience? So it goes through very esoteric things like that. But then and then it looks at where are your assets now? Where's your spending versus your income? And so it starts it starts to lay your foundation to what your own situation looks like, and that like is the first sort of like level one, you know. And then mm -hmm. after that, we start getting into more questions about you know, the next level of, okay, your assets, do you have an investment account? What are you investing mm -hmm. in? Are you investing for the long term? Do you have a savings habit? If you don't have a savings habit, you need a savings habit if you want to invest on a continuous basis. So little things like that. What do you have for the long term? What do you have for the short term? Um, is your debt vulnerable? Like we start looking at your vulnerabilities in your finances. And then you kind of get through that stage. And then the last stage you start to really hone in on, on your risks and like, do you hold the right assets for your dreams? The whole way through, we're looking at your dreams and what do you want? You know, why, you know, we don't just want to do our money, do our money. We, we want things from our money. Like money in mm -hmm. action is the exciting part of money, not money sitting in a savings account, right? So right, right. we're always looking like, what are we going to do with this money? What do we want to do with this money in a year, five years, 10 years, 40 years? Like to me, financial wellness is when you're not worried about your paycheck but at some yeah. point you are going to have the freedom to work like I love working I don't ever plan on retiring mm -hmm. but I want to do the work that I want to do I love Likewise. what work I do now yeah. so so this platform kind of takes you from the beginnings and gets you the habits that you need that I sort of missed out on and then teaches you it gives you knowledge it gives you accountability because it's not it's teaching you within an app that you are laying out your information so you're getting knowledge and you're getting accountability and then you're getting support most of the support right now comes from me but we are building in community features that will grow with us as the community grows and you know that that is that is the crust of it and that is it gets mm -hmm. gets you started and it gets you like I have it open on my iPad all day. And I find like the, the clients that have been around most and 
um, I say the same thing that after they get into it, like it's always there, it's always open. They're referring to it for inspiration or checking, like, should I do that? Like, it would give you some questions to ask. So, so it's, it's a really interesting platform that's changing every day. I have a tech, uh, like two tech guys that are where every time we learn something new about a client, the 20 to 20, the 24 to 27 group is gaining mm -hmm. ground. And I love that, that they're saying, I'm going to do it for me. It's part of my wellness. Like your whole iPad, I, mm -hmm. your whole podcast is part of wellness and money is a pillar of your well-being. You cannot get around it. You, we wouldn't be talking today if we both didn't mm -hmm. pay the, the internet bill. Right. And right. Um, I know, I know some people think, oh, money's evil or I shouldn't do things for money. Money is wellness, you know, and if you're a good person, yeah. money is not evil. People are evil. Right. So if you have good intentions, pursue the money, pursue it, please. So that you can have the freedom to be your best self and, and be that <laughs> best person and, and contribute yourself to the greater, to greater humanity. Really? Like it really is that big. Like if you have the freedom to be clear about yourself, then the whole world's going to benefit from that, you know? So yeah, I'm very excited about the platform. Yeah. And I want to piggyback off of it too. You know, I have always believed it myself. I, I believe money is energy and that, you know, if you don't love it, it can't love you back. Right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so it, it, it really like is like right. That. But it's, it's, it's really like separating that notion of it's evil because I just think of what you tell yourself, it becomes right. So if you, everything is everything in life, as, as I've grown up to learn is really energy. The, the way we communicate with people, the way we, just show up into this world every day so the way we treat money and the way we perceive money really like money will feel that you know so that goes with your paycheck the way you spend it the way you use your credit cards and so forth but I think there's a lot of listeners that um, still might not even know some of the fundamental pieces of advice that I would love if you could tap into very basic items um, the first one being saving Right. So for those, let's just say um, a female right now, she's 22, 23, just graduated college, um, just got her first big girl job, nine to five job, let's say making, you know, let's say 50K a year. Right. Um, what's your advice on saving? Like, is it a percentage on a paycheck or how can they yeah, save wisely because, you know, they're finally seeing, oh my gosh, this is how much taxes get taken out, all of that. And, you know, they're still spending $6 on coffee every single day, which, you know, it's totally fine if you can at least, at least know how to save though as well, or not get into that. Cause that's where those mistakes start to happen. Right. So basic uh, fundamental advice, saving what's, what's kind of the number, what are you basing it off of? Yeah, there's a, there's a really simple rule, um, the 50-30-20 rule. A lot of people mm -hmm. would have heard of it or not, um, made up by Elizabeth mm -hmm. Warren, who was a, she mm -hmm. was a bankruptcy lawyer. I think she's actually part of the government cabinet now. I kind of lost track, but I anyway, she's 50-30-20. So 50% so of your paycheck is for your essentials. So anything that you have to pay every month, okay? Included in that, I put your debt payments. So if you have yep. credit card debt, that goes in there, right? Yep. So that is your line. So if you're making 50K, if you are bringing home, whatever you're bringing, let's say you're bringing home 50K a year, that's yeah. your net paycheck. Mm -hmm. 25,000 is for your rent, any credit card payments, um, your, not your luxuries, like your cell phone. I, I consider yep. cell phones uh, necessities now <laughs> for sure. Yeah, right. All that stuff is 50, is 25,000. Now the other 25,000, you would take about half, it's 30, she says 30%. I kind of do half and half because it's easier in my head, but mm -hmm. so you take 30% uh, and that money is for your dreams now. So 
do you want to buy a car? Do you want to go on a ski trip? Do you want to spend uh, $25,000 on a, no, sorry, like about $15,000 on a pair of shoes? Whatever you want to do with it, it's mm-hmm. yours to do it. You have 30% of that money of your take-home pay goes to the you of today. So you got your 50% mm-hmm. that ha- keeps you going. You got, you take the other half, you kind of split it in half and you say, that is for the me today. That's all the, the luxuries I want for myself today, whether it's mm-hmm. a ski trip, shoes, car, whatever it is. And then the other, says 20% of your paycheck goes to the you of tomorrow. So when, when, if you're looking out into the future and you're looking at you and basically you get to that time, are you going to turn around to the past you and be like, well done, well done. Mm-hmm. Or are you going to be like, what the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. want her to turn around <laughs> and be like, great job. Thank you. Cause now here I am, I'm 40. I'm so burnt out. I want to take a break. Thanks for putting that money away or mm-hmm. thanks for putting it away because now we don't have to do that anymore. Me and you, we are going to do our dream job or whatever it is, whatever it is that your dream is. You know, I mm-hmm. think um, so that 50, 30, 20 rule is 50% to essentials, 30% for your luxuries today and 20% for the you of whoever you're going to be in the future. Yeah. Okay. And AK, that's, so that's a real that's simple savings. formula. Mm-hmm. So that that's 20%, 20% so is that, for savings is for your long-term savings, but even your 30% is still savings because you're not like spending it on your rent. Like that 30%, like you can spend it on a ski trip, but just put it away and decide what you're going to spend. It's not like, mm-hmm. it's not your rent. It's not your debt. It's like 30% of that is savings for today. Savings for your ski trip today, savings for your car. It's for your luxury today. So Got I still, it. mm-hmm. it's technically a soft savings, right? It's the savings for now, but it's not rent. Now you shouldn't be spending 70% of your paycheck on rent and transport. You should be sending right. 50% because otherwise that's where you get like the expression. Remember the expression house poor? Oh, they're house poor. That means they're spending so much on their home that they can't afford to take vacation. So that's why they <laughs> sort of say 50% and then 30% so that you can actually enjoy your life. So 20% for long-term savings, 30% for mm-hmm. savings to do stuff now or within this next year, let's say or two years. Yeah. And speaking of that future self looking back, I I kind of laughed there just because I remember when I started, you know, the 50, 30, 20 rule, I was a junior in college. And I remember, you know, when I was coaching figure skating, even though I was only making, you know, a much smaller amount back then, I was still saving that 20% just for just for the sake of practice, you know, because once you get into that habit, it's great. Yeah. You know, suddenly you're just like, oh, this is so normal to me. Whereas if you're so accustomed to spending every single penny you have and maybe keeping only 10% or 5%, jumping to 20% seems like a lot, you know, but when you start out, when you're, you know, even making $500 paycheck, right. Taking 20% of that, putting it into a savings, just so you can accumulate over time. Um, But speaking of savings though, I feel like, especially with COVID, everyone started to realize emergency funds, right? Emergency savings. Um, I've heard different numbers, both from like Kevin O'Leary and just other um, big finance gurus. But what's your take on, let's say, a female, she's 25. She's, she finally has some savings under her belt. But now she's like, okay, what should I have in cash or in my savings account per se, um, that's liquid that, uh, is considered my long-term savings slash in the worst case, like pandemic is my emergency fund. Is it like 90 days, six months, nine months? What's your personal recommendation? I would, I think six months is good. I think three months is good. I think six months is great because Mm -hmm. even like as you saw in the pandemic last year, things can easily go from three months to six months. I think more than that, you're just at that, you know, you're, how are you ever going to invest money? Like you just, 
I, I don't, I always think that yeah. your investing of money should be running alongside. So yeah. if you're going to spend five years trying to build up nine months of money, then you're not investing and you're not getting that muscle going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that, you know, the, you know, hit a target of a month, hit a target of three months. When you hit three months, start taking money out and investing it. Um, and then yep. as you're taking money out to invest it, then start putting money more. And so here you kind of, you know, a little bit of money for emergency. Maybe you mm-hmm. do so well investment, you cash it out and put it into your emergency. Like I, for my I stocks, did that. I did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I'll, I'll put money into a stock for three to five years and all of a sudden it, it's like the market moves so fast. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take it out to do something else with it. So you can't, mm-hmm. so you can cash out, you know, I, I'm a long-term yep. investor, but I do pull some money out. So, so I would say, you know, one month to three months and then start tracking it and making sure mm-hmm. that your investments are moving along with your debt payments. Um, like right. we, we could be looking at a higher interest rate environment next year. So paying down a bit of debt is also a good idea, that kind of stuff. So it's just everything inching along together, you know, I would say. Yeah. And for a clarification, for those who are uncertain of like what we mean by the three months or six months, we are talking about like pretty much like, let's say three months of rent and like that three months of all the necessities, right. And all of everything that you would need to survive basically of savings. Yeah. For the not, not your, yeah, not your shopping and you don't want right. to <laughs> I try to have a little, I have, I try to have a little fluff in there, but no, I don't need to go buy a thousand dollar dress in that time. But you do, you, you do need to get out to the coffee shop during that time. Like you can't be, it's so skint that you can't leave your house. I think getting right. out and having a laugh, like my husband and I at our worst moments, like, and like when things were so skint, like we would actually buy a great bottle of champagne and sit mm. outside and try to figure out how yep. we were going to get through something. Cause it just oh. like, that's not like, that's not going to break us. <laughs> you know? Right. So, <laughs> so I think that, so, so have, have that, like, you know, but leave a little bit of room for the latte or the lunch with yep. your friend because you do need to leave the house and, Absolutely. And socialize and socialize is really important, isn't it? Yeah. Just because of the top of mind, I wanted to ask this. Is there, do you have any advice for, because here's something that I hear a lot of women being afraid of too, is like when you're a woman and you're married or in a relationship, there's some, even myself at times where it's like, you're scared that you might be intimidating to men because you basically know your shit. Um, Was that ever the case for you? Or (laughs) have you ever seen that occur? Like, do you have any advice on maybe the balance of like the you know, dynamic, dynamic between feminine and masculine really. And, and kind of that perception of, oh, so a female knowing her finance, like she might be too alpha for me, you know, anything of that nature. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, I've definitely had relationships that like with re- like they, they were required me to dial down mm. myself and that would never work very well. I would work. I have made that mistake where I've dialed down myself and then realized like, what right. am I doing? And and got out of the relationship, you know. So I've made my mistakes, and that was a good learning experience. Um, within a relationship, let me just say this little side note is that I think you should have unaccountable play money, and you should have it for yourself before you get in really in relationship. You should have money that you don't account for, like whether it's the latte, right. quote unquote, or the shoes, like that you get to spend money, like but it's in an account, so it's like you don't have it in the account with your yeah. other savings. You don't have an account with your rent. Like you just have a little side check because it's so easy to have five different accounts with your bank account. So you have a little, and you have your bank card for that and you spend it during the month on anything. Well, maybe you blow it in the first day. Maybe you survive mm-hmm. 30 days, but you should have that anyway when you're in relationship with yourself. And then when you add a partner, that doesn't change. They don't get to talk to you about how you spend your money like that. And then they have the same thing. They have unaccountable mm. play money. That saves a lot I of see. arguing because- 
you get to be yourself and they get to be themselves, but then you then can agree on the mortgage and that kind of right. stuff. But in terms of like the alpha, like I, my husband has his talents. I have my talents. I am much better. He's a good investor, but he's horrible with the day-to-day managing of money. And we understand like he has a business. I still help him out with his cash flow. I have a business. He still yeah. helps me out. He's been an entrepreneur since okay. he was 18. So he helps me still take risks. So we, you know, we balance that out, but it's not like, I don't, I didn't ever, never showed up at dinner and be like, I'm going to pay mm. the bill. And like, I understood like he's very, he's very right. alpha male. So I would always just let him always, yes. pay the bill, you know? <laughs> I would too. And, you know, I, so just, you know, and I just like, yeah, let him, I just like, even if we had money in his cash, I would just give him my cash and, you know, it's just like, cause it, it, I know it meant something to him and that didn't affect yeah. me. It wasn't going to mm-hmm. affect how I felt about myself. And it was, it was a gesture. My, my dad was a real classy guy and he would, you know, always insist on opening up the doors. And I quite like that me chivalry. Too. And in, in return, I know, you know, they do. So I think there's a balance yeah. there of etiquette and charm, but it was never like, he couldn't tell me what to invest in. He couldn't tell me, you know, what to do with my money. So within the household, we had, respect for our talents but outside I would let him you know he pays for everything because it also quite frankly I it just makes lets me be lazy and nothing I I actually Mm -hmm. quite like not thinking about the money all the time so I'm like I'm quite happy not to think about how this bill is getting split tonight you know or what we spend I'm like whatever you know so I so that works for me but I think like I'm not trying to win I I just as long as he's respecting and I don't have to be in the house pretending like I'm an idiot I'm quite okay for him to to pay the bill you know but for the women I've told that to they're horrified with that they're like you have to I'm like no I'm not I don't want to win every fight like we have to he he you know he feeds my ego he tells me I look great (laughs) in anything I put on we pretend we pretend that's true (laughs) you know then we go out for dinner and I pretend like he's paid the bill (laughs) and now it all works out So, and to end to any woman in a relationship, just don't dumb yourself down. I've made the mistake. And then you just start to lose confidence. And then at some point you're like, where did I go? So never dumb yourself down. But at the same time, it doesn't mean you have to be the aggressor and be right in every moment. You got to share the stage, I would say in anything. I really, really love that advice. And I wrote it down here too, where I'll probably put it in show notes, the the balance between the feminine and masculine etiquettes of like, especially too, I've always been a big fan of like chivalry and just more of a little bit of traditional take on dating and, you know, men opening the door and men paying the bills, but of course not, um, or, you know, the dinner bill at least, but like not having to dumb yourself back for like at least being aware of your own finances as well. So I really like that. Um, So a couple last questions, a little bit um, on the finance aspect, quickly dive into like retirement plans. So for this is something that surprised me that a lot of people are unaware of, you know, 401ks and um, just when they, when they had the option at an employer, right. Um, what should they, should they be maxing it out? Like, let's say they do six, yes. right? Yeah. Can you just quickly dive <laughs> into yeah, that? Like non-negotiable. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because um, you're getting an opportunity to put money away without the government taxing it. Yep. And it, and then a lot of times the companies will match you. I, I know every company is different, but it, I love the fact that it comes out and you never get to touch it. Mm-hmm. So you don't get to go, Ooh, but I really want to buy that car. Yep it goes away from you. It's out of your hands. And like, you know, so let's say you were putting in, I don't know what the maximum is now, but let's say it's 10%. You're like, boom, 10%. I now have 10% going 
to my long-term retirement. Mm-hmm. So that, you, you know, you're good there. And then you can start thinking you can buy a whole, I'm a big fan of whole life policies. I have one of my daughter, I bought it for her when she was two years old, mm. but you can buy, you can buy index funds, you can buy ETFs, you, can, you know, so right. you can then start to then max out your, the rest of your, but, but the fact that you potentially have a, a, a company matching you and the, the money comes out and it's not taxed. And then if you leave it in there, it won't get taxed until you're at a lower tax bracket when you're older. Right. So the, I, I love 401ks. They were, they did, it was absolutely fabulous. And I would recommend anyone to max them out. They, I can't find a situation mm-hmm. that you would not, I've never come across a situation where I can say, don't do it. Right. You know, I would say blanket, hard, yes. The hard yes. And for <laughs> anyone, let's say they're a freelancer or maybe their employer doesn't offer a 401k of some sort. Um, what's the alternative recommendation based on your knowledge? Um, you know, Roth IRAs or, you know, kind of dive into it yourself. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to say a side note on freelancers because freelancers always like to tell me, I'm sorry, I can't, I have no chance of saving money because mm. I'm a freelancer. Uh. If you look, if, if you're not keeping your books, you should be. And I, you know, if until you start keeping your books, there's not a lot of a conversation to have, but if you keep your books and you look back, you will find a pattern and an average of the money that you earn and work off that average every month, set it as a challenge that you're going to make a certain amount of money and set it as a goal. And do your 20% for long-term savings off that average number, you yeah. know, just pretend like, okay, I, I average uh, $25,000 a month. Wouldn't that be nice? Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's my average. And I'm going to take 20% of that. Um, so that is one. Then as to what to put it in. Um, yes. Your, your options are um, you have IRAs, you have Roth IRAs, you have education IRAs. So, IRAs are a good choice. Um, a Roth IRA means you are taxed now, so you're not taxed later. A regular IRA means you're taxed later and not taxed now. Most people will do a blend of the two. Um, I cho- have chosen to do whole life policies because I like that you have an insurance element and that you save money and you can borrow against that money like I borrowed against the money when I needed to uh, shore up my mortgage. So I like that and you don't get penalized for it. Whereas an IRA, you get tax penalized, a whole life policy, you borrow against your money so you don't get penalized. And I quite like that feature. Um, index funds, you don't get a tax benefit, but you um, can invest directly into the market if you've kind of maxed out because you can't just put an unlimited amount of money in IRAs, but you can just still invest in index funds. S&P 500 has returned an average of 10% a year since 19... 19- 35. It's not, sometimes it's down, sometimes it's up, but generally the average is 10%. That's a pretty good return because it's, you know, not going to say it's risk-free because it's stocks, but I think it's a a pretty steady return. Um, And, um, you know, then if you're different nationality, Canada has, you know, a difference that you have to know, like we have people that are on from different regions. We have Europeans, you know, so we do have Canadians. We do have people from Ireland. We do have people from Barbados. So, um, they don't have 401ks, but every country has their little thing. You just have to, your Google search away from knowing what's right in your country, but max out your tax-free is, so your the tax-free in the States are the, for, the 401ks and the IRAs. And if you're going to do an IRA, balance it between Roth and regular IRA, you know, and uh, I think that's where you can start with that. And then go on to owning things that don't have the tax benefits. Last finance related question. And then we have um, lightning round and then we are done. Um, but the last finance question is three lessons you wish you knew relating to finance, saving and or investing when you were in your 20s. 
Yeah, definitely the first one, which I mentioned before, was concentrating on the earnings part of the ecosystem of finance and not paying attention to my habits surrounding spending. It was like, I'm going to earn, I'm going to earn, I'm going to earn. Don't worry, I'll make more. I'll make more. And then mm-hmm. then like little uh, tidbit is uh, women's earnings, and this may change, but in, women's earnings top out at 40 and you start to move sideways. And no one told me that. I just always thought it would continue to go up. So that may change, but I thought that was an interesting um, statistic that I came mm. across. So so earnings is one part, but you really need to get your habits. Um, time, I would have definitely better managed my time. Um, I think there's, I took this course one time that taught me that there's 12 elements in ourselves that we need to nurture. And I was not nurturing enough of them. So I'm mm-hmm. very conscious of the entire wellness spectrum. And if I am nurturing my full self, I spend the less money. It's absolutely mm-hmm. true. I spend less when I am feeling better, when I'm feeling rested, when I'm feeling whole, when I'm, when I'm well, and I'm, when I'm truly well, I spend less money on nonsense and, uh, and I'm a better investor because I'm more focused. I'm more true to who I am. And the third thing is I probably would have spoken to my friends more about money. Like it, mm somewhere in the lines we started talking about sex like everyone talks mm-hmm. about sex sex is everywhere people are taking sex videos but no one and even to this day even my clients in their 20s do not want to talk to their friends about money and mm. that is I think a big thing is that you don't have to talk to them about their debt you don't have to talk about them. you don't have to show them your balance sheet but talk about your dreams talk about what you're planning for and what that will yeah. also help you do is that if you are planning if you're if you have a goal like if you were, if you had a skating goal, maybe you told your friend that you're in this competition. Okay, well, mm-hmm. this goal is your new competition. So that if yeah. you're not coming for dinner tonight, I think people say, oh, she's not coming for dinner. Why aren't you coming to dinner? She doesn't like us anymore. No, she's, she's saying, you know, she's, she wants to do this. And, and as you get through, tell them, and you'll inspire them to yeah. pick a goal and, and work mm-hmm. towards that goal. And that's part of your 30% money. You know, I want to go on a ski trip. I want to get my emergency fund. I want to buy a dog, whatever it is. Bring your friends into it. And because I think the more women talk to themselves with each other about money, it doesn't have to be the hardships. Although funny enough, you know, friends of mine recently talked about some hardships and it was like, oh my God, I'm going through that too. And they're like, oh, I felt so stupid. You know, I had friends that that own Lehman shares and lost a ton of money to to Mm the Lehman collapse, you know, and they just Mm -hmm. didn't want to talk about it. And so it's cathartic sometimes, but at least start with your dreams. I think that's a really, so yeah, uh, running, managing my time, speaking to my friends and getting better habits around my money, not just trying to earn my way out of it. And my, yeah. three, my three big yeah. takeaways, yeah. Ooh, those are good. Okay, final questions. Two of them are lightning rounds. So like super quick, yes or no. Um, first one, is happiness a choice? Yes, Definitely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and these are uh, questions from my card game, actually. That oh, I love launched. that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Second question: Do we have more control over our fate, or is it a universal fate that's decided already? Uh, a lot more control on our fate because we make decisions, mm-hmm. and that brings us down yep. a path. So I absolutely believe we have choice. Yes. Love that. Okay. Well, last question, something I ask everyone on the show, as you probably know, but out of everything we talked about, what truly fulfills you in life? Well, I know during the pandemic, everyone said that they really missed their families and their loved ones. And I did, I missed mm-hmm. them terribly, but as well, um, I really missed like creativity. I missed art. I missed um, live mm-hmm. music. 
I missed adventure and taking risk. Um, I, I think personal growth, like personal growth really, you know, like the random conversation with the person in the cafe, you know, those are the type of things I really mm -hmm. missed. And I realized that it all led to personal growth that I really moved sideways last year. Like I, I did the whole mm. clean out. I cleaned out the house. I got new habits and all that, but I was like, then I just started flatlining. And then I realized um, I'm missing personal growth. And I think really, so the mm -hmm. random conversations, conversations with intelligent people who are going to push my buttons and, and get me thinking in a new way, seeing art, you know, seeing new art and listening to new music, um, and going on little adventures, going whether it's just a hike in a mountain near me or, or you know, whatever it is, something doing something risky that really doing a triathlon that I that I had no business doing, like those mm -hmm. type of things, <laughs> like they weren't available. Like everything was so safe. And I'm not a safe person. Like I have to, like it was okay yeah. to do it for a while, but I think pushing myself into new realms. And I think by us all doing that in little ways, we move humanity forward. And I, I felt very stagnant and I said so that is my big thing is personal growth challenges mm -hmm. challenges in getting new ideas I, I love new and hearing new ideas from your generation because they're like oh that's amazing that's such a great idea you know mm -hmm. so <laughs> yeah that's um that's what that's that's what fulfills me oh that's amazing well thank you so much for being on here and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge on finance and just your personal advice um where can everyone find you especially your platform and your financial tool of firefly uh feel free to share all the social media the website and where they can find you personally yeah um we are a firefly.com so that's a fire like a fire and fi for finance so firefly.com is the website a Firefly Studios is the Instagram. Chris, for some crazy reason, someone had a Firefly, so we had to add Studios, is on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> we repost on Facebook, but we really just use those two platforms. We have a blog that it's on our, mm -hmm. um, that's on attached to our website where we give free information. And if you want me, you can just email support at a firefly.com and I'm the, me and Nora are the only people that answer. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's nice and tight. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you can find me, you can find me there anytime, but I love being here. I, and so thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me to come on. I think it was, it was so much fun. I love talking about wellness and, um, yeah, I think it, I think, you know, you guys are, are getting it so much better than right more right than, than that means that we're progressing in the right way it means we're doing the right thing so I'm so excited you and I really hope that you and your friends talk about money and invest and enjoy it and your money is money can be so much fun if you if you let it <laughs> absolutely thank you again and I'll be sure to share all of your socials and the website all of that in the show notes so they can access that and yeah I'm excited for this episode to come out excellent thanks so much Emily really nice to meet you so that was all for today's episode with Patricia Whitaker, founder of A Firefly. And if you are interested in checking out the platform and the tool, especially again, if you are interested in leveling up in your finances and having a more serious roadmap to your future and what post-grad life is like and as you adult in your 20s, which again is the best time to do and start with learning how to manage your money you might not have as much mistakes or things to clean up so to speak so definitely would recommend at the very least go and invest in yourself and learn how to manage your money and learn how to set aside um, in the future even 
if you only make like, you know, a couple hundred uh, at this point, if you're in college, for example, right? Like, again, I started like that too. And some people might be like, oh, like that's too little to play with. No, I think it all starts with the habit and the practice and then you build it up over time. So if you're interested in a FireFi, you can get 15% off with the code EMILY15 at a firefi.com and you can get started with their financial freedom roadmap. I will link all of that in the show notes. But one more thing before you head out, be sure to check out all the merchandise on whatfulfillsyou.com, especially the card game, which by now most of you guys, if you follow the Instagram at whatfulfillsyou, I've been posting a lot about it there. And I'm just very passionate about this card game because I created the card game with my younger self in mind, uh, especially in those darker times of 2017 and 2018 when I was growing and changing and evolving out of a breakup and um, still in the middle of college. And so these are the exact same questions I asked myself to get to the place that I am in today and whether you're going to use these questions as your own self-reflective journal prompts or just self-reflective thoughts and questions for yourself or if you're using it in a group setting whether it's with work colleagues, family, friends and especially like Friendsgiving coming up that is the perfect activity to do with a few glasses of wine. I just think that would be such a fun, like deep activity to do. So if you want to get it um, before Thanksgiving and before all the holidays and stuff, I can only guarantee it if you pre-order it. So again, it's whatfulfillsyou.com and you get 10% off for listening all the way through this and being a podcast listener, which again, this code is not shared anywhere else. It's only on each episode so what fulfills you 10 for 10 percent off that is what fulfills you 10 at checkout thank you again for tuning in this week i will chat with you guys in the next episode